This podcast provides general information about the law, not specific legal advice. The licensed attorney speaking on this podcast cannot take the place of a competent private attorney who can provide proper legal advice only after hearing the specific facts of your case. You're listening to Law and Caution, Protection Through Legal Education, brought to you by Legal Aid Center of Southern Nevada. Hello, my name is Josh Lozano. I'm a law student at the William S. Boyd School of Law, and I'm here today with two attorneys from the Consumer Rights Project here at the Legal Aid Center of Southern Nevada. First, I'd like to introduce Ryan McConnell. He's a staff attorney currently focusing on landlord-tenant issues and what feels like every solar panel issue that you can think of in Las Vegas. He enjoys watching some Aces basketball, but does not enjoy receiving memes. How are you doing, Ryan? (laughs) Doing well, Josh. Thank you. Good to hear. Next, we have Taylor Altman. She's also a staff attorney here who works on protecting uh, vulnerable individuals on consumer protection issues. She does enjoy receiving memes, and she's currently working on publishing a book, which we will update you more on. How are you doing, Taylor? Doing great. Thanks for having us, Josh. Wonderful. So today's episode, Renters Beware, Navigating Apartment and Home Rentals. Uh, First, we'll discuss what to look for before renting, uh, knowing your rights, and what to do if you need to break your lease. In the description of this episode, you'll find links for all the resources we mentioned, such as signups for the Tenants' Rights class held here at the Legal Aid Center every Friday from 11 to 1 p.m. Uh, you'll also find timestamps so you can jump ahead to the topics you're looking for. All right, so uh, we, we could just start. So uh, you two see a lot of issues with tenants, uh, maybe with their landlords or uh, issues with their habitability. So just to start as a general foundation for the episode. What are some things that you've noticed or that you would warn people about? Like, hey, if you see this, if you're renting or if you see this in the lease, this is like a bad sign. Well, I guess I can start, Josh. Mm -hmm. Um, I think some of the things to look for, well, we see some rental scams and it's Mm -hmm. really important to, uh, when you're looking for an apartment or a house to rent, try to meet meet the person that you're going to be renting from, whether it's an owner of the property or the property manager, try to schedule a meeting in person because sometimes the rental scams happen over the internet, money changes hands, and then the rental turns out to be something that the person is not allowed to lease to begin with because the property actually belongs to someone else. And then it's very difficult to track down those individuals and try to get the money back that you paid for something that you can't rent at this point. So do your homework and your due diligence. Try to meet people in person. Um, see if you can find other people who have lived at that property and look up reviews online. Just use the free resources available on the internet to see you know, if this property is good, bad, somewhere in the middle. That's funny you mentioned that. As a quick aside, back in my uh, younger undergraduate days, we would go look for a place to you know, have an event like a, like a house and we would go on Craigslist. But you know, we were very young and ignorant. So like, wow, look at this mansion. This is only available for like 500 tonight. And you would messages the person on Craigslist. And then you, after you do a little research, you know, the person just found a picture of the home, posted it, and they're just hoping you're going to send them the $500. They actually don't own the home at all. They have no relations with it. So people do that on a much larger scale. Yeah. And actually we've, we've seen a few cases where, where if you're going solely online communication with people, especially Facebook marketplace, if you can help it, try not to rent from a, someone on Facebook marketplace. Mm -hmm. You don't often know who they are. And or whether they or not they own it, like Taylor said, rent the place. If you are able to, whether it's a whether it's a house or an apartment, if you're able to do a walkthrough of the unit or of the property before you actually sign any papers or pay over any money, 
do so. I know even with even with um, good apartment properties, sometimes you'll be shown a model unit that's really well situated, really mm-hmm. well set up, and you're like, "Wow, this looks amazing." And then you go into the lease off, leasing office. I've, I've actually done this. You go into the leasing office, you sign all your papers, and then they're like, all right, you're apartment 22C. And you go into apartment 22C, and it is not in the condition you saw the model unit. So if it's available, if you're able to, and I know not everyone has this time because sometimes you're, rent, you're looking at the beginning of October, and, uh, but you're not going to move until the beginning of November. So maybe the unit's not available. But if you're able to check out the, uh, the actual unit before you move in, that's helpful too, because then you actually know, okay, what am I getting myself into rather than seeing some model unit that no one's ever lived in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to tag along with that, Josh, I would say, you know, when you're moving into a unit, make sure to do, if you can do the walkthrough, take photos and videos, pawn move in, and then when you move out as well. So that sometimes landlords will try to keep a tenant's full security deposit for damages that they didn't even do, damages that were pre-existing at the time of move in. But unfortunately, the tenants hadn't documented that. So um, it's more difficult to fight on the end of it if they just have pictures that move out. What you want to show is that, you know, the property was damaged or, you know, the carpet was dirty and so on and so forth. There was a hole in the wall, something like that, that the landlord couldn't come back then and say, I'm going to withhold your security deposit or part of your deposit the tenant can prove, I didn't do this. This existed at the time I moved in. Yeah, and, and Taylor's starting to get into like the hidden costs and, and fees that are, mm-hmm. that are there. So that's something to really be mindful of too, is to, before you sign the lease, uh, remember, unless you're in some kind of desperate situation, no one is forcing you to sign a lease. The landlord may try to put some pressure on you. They have the papers in front of you. Maybe you have seen mm-hmm. the place and you really want it. But really look over and look at the fees associated with the lease because uh, a property that's, that may look affordable on its face with a couple hidden costs every month uh, may suddenly become unaffordable or make it more difficult for you to pay uh, every month. So I know places that charge for a washer dryer hmm. where a lot of times you, you would think that would be included with just the rent. Uh, places that charge... they. Pet fees aren't uncommon, but you want to see if you have a pet, what that pet fee is, what's the pet deposit, how much is the original deposit. Really, overall, is it affordable for you in the long run? Uh, Because, again, that base rent may be $1,200, which seems affordable to you, but after it's all said and done, you're paying $1,600 a month, which is a whole lot more than you were planning on. Yeah, an old bait and switch, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to tag along with that, Ryan, um, it's always very important and sounds like something very basic, but make sure to read over the lease agreement. And if if at all possible, make sure every lease agreement that you sign is in writing. So oral agreements to rent a property are enforceable, you know, so long as they're under a year. However, it's hard to prove lease terms when they're not written down. So you want to make sure that you get the lease agreement in writing and you take time to review it. Sometimes these leases are 20, 30 pages. Mm-hmm. It's kind of onerous to sit down and review the lease, but you want to know what you're getting into. What's the monthly rent? Like Brian said, are there any fees? Who's paying for electricity, gas, water? How is that all done? Is it on a formula? Is it a flat amount? Um, internet and cable. Are you required to get renter's insurance? Things like that. Um, garbage pickup. Uh, are there amenities? Is there going to be like a garage key, a pool key, other deposits? Just things that um, you want to make sure the basic things about renting this unit 
that you understand before you move in. And if you have questions, write those down and ask the property manager or landlord. I'm sure they'd be happy to answer your questions on the front end before you sign than after when you're already in, committed to this lease. Yeah. So do your due diligence and make sure to uh, read that lease. To touch on, uh, Ryan did talk about pets. If you are a renter and you have a, a service animal and you see a no pet policy, technically your service animal is not considered a pet. So there's a statute NRS 118.105. The landlords are technically not allowed to do that. We talked about the lease agreements. Was there anything in particular that you notice when clients come in a lot that um, they just get blindsided with on the lease? I know me and Taylor have uh, had parking issues where people had their cars towed um, and they claim things like, well, we uh, towed your car because it was, it was parked backwards and that's against your lease agreement. So we towed it. Have you seen anything like that? that you want the audience to be aware of? You know, the, the, the car thing is definitely real, especially when it comes to assigned parking spaces too. Yeah. And that, that can, that can cause tension between, uh, landlords and tenants and tenants themselves. If, if someone is parking in your spot or you are parking in someone else's spot, or we've had it before where, uh, tenants with disabilities have need, need a spot closer to their, to their unit. And those disabled parking spots aren't close enough to their unit to make a difference, or they're not, there aren't enough of those. So if, if there's a, a special circumstance that you're looking for, just be, be aware of that beforehand going into the, into the lease. And don't just take some kind of verbal assurance that this, will, this or that will get fixed, because that's not necessarily always the case. I'm trying to think of any other common ones. Taylor, do you have any? I've seen leases where this is an interesting one because um, I think Josh, you might have discussed this on another podcast about habitability, but a landlord is required to provide the dwelling unit in habitable condition. That means conditions under which a reasonable person can live. So it has to have heat, running water, electricity, hookups, um, you know, just basically be sanitary and in a good condition for people to actually live there. And I've seen leases where landlords have tried to disclaim their responsibilities under the habitability statute, so this is an as-is property and so forth, but the statute mm -hmm. really controls, so the statute requiring the landlord to keep the property in habitable condition, that can't be overridden by a lease saying you're taking the property as-is. The landlord does have certain responsibilities and tenants do have certain rights under the law to rent a property that's free of habitability problems. Uh, yeah, that, that's right. And, and don't get suckered into a landlord signing away your rights because you're not allowed to do that. Any contract where you're signing away a specific right in the statute, 118, NRS 118A, it specifically says that any part of the lease where you're signing away one of these uh, rights or responsibilities of the landlord, are it, that, that part is void. So. So even if the landlord says, well, you know, you specifically signed in the lease that you, you're not going to have a service animal uh, or that mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're not, like Taylor mentioned, you're not going <laughs> to, there, there's a lot of junk in here and, <laughs> and there's a lot of junk in here and you know what, we don't need to clean it up. Uh, you're just going to deal with it. Move in as is. Move in as is with all, with all the junk and, you know, do with it what you may. That. You don't need to accept that. You mm -hmm. don't need to accept that just because the landlord pressures you into signing something. Even if you sign something, that doesn't take away your right for the landlord to fulfill their obligations under the law. That's a great message to drive home to the audience. But what on the reverse side? So you guys talked about on the lease, 
a landlord trying to have you sign away your rights, which they can't take away. What if there's no lease? What kind of rights do these tenants have that still can't get taken away? Well, I'll, I'll speak to that a little bit. So um, just to clarify something we touched on a little bit earlier, Nevada law doesn't require a written lease unless the tenant is renting the property for more than one year. So mm -hmm. an oral lease um, or verbal lease is okay um, for you know those, those types of properties. But if it's more than a year, you're going to have to have a written contract. And we would recommend in any situation that a tenant gets a written contract just because the terms are spelled out. Um, but if you have a written lease, or um, there's a verbal agreement with the landlord, and it doesn't specifically address these following topics that I'm going to talk about, the law will presume that these terms are part of the lease. And this mm -hmm. is, again, a statute under uh, NRS 118A, and the specific site is 0.200 subsection 5. And what that says is the tenant can have any number of people and or pets living with the tenant. Landlord pays for maintenance and trash removal. Landlord may not charge for partial or late payments or dishonored checks. And the tenant must leave the rental property in the same condition as when the tenant moved in, except for normal wear and tear that happens over the course of the tenancy. So in the absence of these terms, the law is going to presume that these terms are part of the lease. But again, always better to get everything in writing so that there's no confusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even if you do have a, an oral lease, there's certain things that you want to document in writing along the way. And certain things that the landlords, that you and the landlord still have to document in writing under the law. So, for example, if you're in an oral lease, even if it's just a month-to-month -month oral lease, uh, and the landlord wishes to increase your rent, they still have to give you a 60-day notice before they do so. That, that's spelled out in the law. If you have a habitability issue and you're requesting the landlord fix that, in order to enforce your rights under the habitability statute, you still have to give them notice in writing. I would also recommend that tenants, when they're making their payments, because a lot of these oral leases are also done with payments in cash, mm -hmm. uh, take, some kind of, take some kind of written documentation of that. S send a text message, write, write out an email, uh, put it in, in a bank account, however, however you need to do it. Put something in writing to show that you're making the payment so that there's no further confusion down the road it, since everything's oral anyways, and you can show that, hey, if I'm paying $900 a month, see, I've paid $900 a month this entire time, and now you're changing it. Yeah, have that paper trail. Exactly. I think with that, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, and then after we're going to do the Truth Game Show, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, what kind of rights you have as a tenant, and then what to do uh, if you need to break your lease. Thank you. Are you grappling with complex legal matters and feel overwhelmed? There's hope. At Legal Aid Center of Southern Nevada, we are seasoned professionals proficient in diverse fields such as housing, transportation, child custody, domestic abuse, and more. We are an entirely free, comprehensive resource for low-income residents of Southern Nevada seeking legal assistance. Our mission is to increase informed access to the legal system, regardless of income, assets, or citizenship. Visit us at 725 East Charleston Boulevard, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Or explore our services and check your eligibility anytime online at lacsn.org. All right, now welcome back. What we're going to do is the Truth Game Show segment where I'm just going to 
throw some uh, fastball questions at these two wonderful attorneys regarding tenants' rights, and then they're going to answer it. And then afterwards, we're going to talk about security deposits and what to do if you had to break your lease. I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I feel comfortable using legal jargon in everyday life. Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess. No, the defense is wrong. In Nevada, is there a cap on the amount of rent that can be increased? No. No. Mm-hmm. There is no cap. So unfortunately, if your landlord raises it by an exorbitant amount, unfortunately, uh, that's within their right to do it. All right, next question. My landlord doesn't want to renew the lease, but I love the place so much, I want to renew it. Is there anything I can do? Well, um, the landlord isn't required by statute to, or by anything in Nevada statute or case law to renew a tenant's lease just because the tenant wants it. However, you can have a meeting with the landlord and just express, you know, I've been a good tenant for X number of years. Uh, I've always paid my rent on time, kept up the property in great condition, and hopefully he or she will agree to continue renting to you. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's a lease is like any contract. You, both parties need to agree on the contract. And if the landlord, for whatever reason, doesn't agree on the new lease, the new contract, then they don't have to. Yeah, unfortunately, there must be a meeting of the minds. And then, um, all right, I guess for the last one, uh, unfortunately, you know, I've been evicted uh, and I left some property behind. What's going to happen to my stuff there? Well, you have 30 days after the eviction, after the lockout, to work with your landlord to get your belongings. Uh, The landlord must give you reasonable access. Now, that term reasonable is, of course, up for for argument as as far as what that means. Usually it means that the land, depending on the size of the property and how much, how many things you have in there, the landlord needs to give you a day or two to get in there, complete access to the property to get your belongings out of there. But during that time, they are able to charge you for any kind of storage fees they may have with it. So whether Mm -hmm. that's keeping that in the property or moving it to some kind of storage unit, they they can charge you reasonable storage fees. Yeah. And then, um, I guess now that we're done, thank you both for that. You guys handled all those fastballs. You look like some MLB superstars. So then now what we'll talk about (laughs) is, uh, the security deposit. So you two could just open up with anything that you really wanted to start about it. I know there's a big issue where sometimes landlords will, they won't give itemized receipts they won't tell you how much. They'll just say, oh, the cost of damages is the equivalent to your entire security deposit. Well, I can start, Josh. Mm-hmm. So um, a security po- deposit um, is required by most landlords, and they can't require that the security deposit be more than three months periodic rent. Um, and the security deposit is supposed to be um, to pay any back rent owed by the tenant after move out, uh, to repair damages to the property caused by the tenant other than normal wear and tear. Uh, and to pay the reasonable costs of cleaning the premises. Mm-hmm. So um, when a tenant moves out uh, for any reason, they terminate the rental agreement or the rental agreement comes to an end and they move out, um, the landlord under the law uh, should give the tenant back any portion of the security deposit to which they're entitled that wasn't withheld for one of those three reasons and an itemized statement of what exactly was withheld. And that's the Law site is NRS 118A.242, and that just talks about what a landlord can Mm -hmm. and can't do with regard to the security deposit. Yeah, and Taylor, of course, nailed it there. She's dealt with many of these 
move out statement <laughs> issues. I don't know if you meant, did you mention they have to give that to them in 30 days? That's a good point, Ryan. Yes. 30 days. 30, so 30 days within, it's within 30 days after move out, the landlord has to either return your security deposit, the itemized statement with the security deposit or, or both. I mean, they should give you an itemized statement. Hopefully there's nothing on there. So you get your full de- deposit back, but all that has to be done within 30 days. So advice we always give to tenants is make sure that even if you were evicted, locked out, make sure the landlord has some way to contact you so they can provide you with this move out statement and Mm -hmm. your deposit. Uh, If you have a forwarding address, providing a forwarding address is always a good idea because the landlord can send, then send you the check that way. But at the very least have a, make sure they have the, your email address so they can reach out to you and say, Hey, here's your move out statement. Come to the office for your, for your $500 security deposit. Mm -hmm. So making sure that, that you go through that process and a lot of these, sometimes tenants really want to start disputing all of this before they move out. But it's important to remember that they're, they're not able to really handle these um, security deposit issues until the time has come where they have left and they're due their security deposit back. So mm-hmm. if you're coming up towards the end of the lease and you, you want the landlord to give you your security deposit back early or, or what have you, that you don't necessarily, they, they're not required to do that. You're just going to have to wait until you move out, provide that move out, uh, provide that forwarding address and wait for that move out statement. Mm-hmm. Another thing to add is if the landlord uh, fails or refuses to return the remainder of the tenant's security deposit within 30 days after the tenancy comes to an end, um, the tenant can actually sue the landlord and request up to twice the amount of the security deposit as a penalty. The court, of course, is going to look at some different factors in deciding whether to award this money to the tenant, but the tenant does have that right um, to enforce that. And oftentimes uh, here at Legal Aid, we have a form that tenants can complete to dispute uh, a move out statement, which is the itemized statement they get after move out, if they disagree with the amounts that the landlord is withholding for certain things, damages, for example, that they didn't do. And it's always better, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, mm-hmm. take pictures that move in, take pictures that move out. So you can show the landlord, hey, I didn't do this damage. It was existing at move out. You shouldn't charge me for that. Withhold it from my deposit. Mm-hmm. You said that door was always broken. <laughs> that door, that <laughs> exactly. lock was always, yeah. Okay, perfect. And then I guess... Uh, to wrap up because we're near the end of this episode. And then also, too, I should have plugged this in. Uh, we do have a Habitabilia episode, which features Ryan. Uh, so if you ever have issues where your landlord isn't fixing what they're supposed to, there are certain steps you have to follow. And those are listed uh, neatly in that episode. But I guess the last thing is, so about breaking your lease, sometimes you have to do this. Uh, you know, life circumstances happen. So what advice do you have for uh, a tenant that now has to break the lease and uh, move out for whatever reason? So I'll start off with that. Um, A tenant usually can't end a lease without the landlord's consent. It's it's a binding agreement, a binding contract. However, something to remember is even if you have a lease that doesn't, it's not meaning that it's holding you prisoner if you absolutely can't stay. Mm -hmm. People can break contracts at any time for any reason. The tenant should just be aware that there might be sometimes hefty financial penalties, um, maybe one or two months rent associated with breaking the lease. Uh, But there are ways to break the lease lawfully if you Mm -hmm. fall under certain circumstances. So classic example, uh, tenant enters active military service after signing a lease. Um, The tenant has to give the landlord written notice of the intent to terminate the tenancy for military reasons. Another reason would be uh, the tenant has a mental or physical disability or is 60 years old or older. 
And that physical or mental disability requires the tenant to relocate because their treatment can't be given at the place where they live. It's, it's, it's just not possible to get mm-hmm. the treatment while still living in that unit. The tenant has to give the landlord written notice of that. Um, they must provide 30 days written notice within 60 days after they relocate. So that's another reason. Um, also, uh, the death of a spouse or co-tenant um, after providing 60 days written notice to the landlord within three months of the person passing away. And the last reason or way of breaking the lease lawfully is if a tenant, a co-tenant or a household member is the victim of domestic violence, mm-hmm. harassment, sexual assault, or stalking. Uh, so the tenant is, or co-tenant is essentially not safe and that rental unit needs to break the lease and move out. That person can terminate their lease. They just have to send written notice of the termination within 90 days after the circumstances resulting in them becoming a victim of domestic violence, stalking, sexual assault, and so forth. So in all of these cases, there are ways of breaking the lease um, lawfully and not incurring those lease break penalties. The tenant just needs to let the landlord know the reason and give the proper amount of notice under the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll add two more. The, in our habitability episode, we, we touched on this is if you are habiting, having habitability issues and you go through the process that we laid out in that episode, uh, and you get to the end of the 14-day period and the landlord has not fixed the habitability issue after you've properly gone through the process, one of your remedies there is breaking the lease. And that would fall under the same lawful breaking of the lease. Uh, you can break it without any penalties, you're due your security deposit back, all, all of that. So that's one. Another that's pretty rarely used and has to be pretty specific. But there is a statute under NRS 118A where if the landlord is breaking the lease in some way and you send another 14-day letter outlining how the landlord's breaking the lease and giving them those 14 days to fix that problem, uh, you can terminate the lease lawfully under that statute as well. And again, break it without any penalties, uh, get your security deposit back. With that, we found that the there may be a little pushback with the landlord because they, they may not agree that they're breaking the lease. So that one is not as not quite as straightforward and which is why it's not used as often. But it is in there where if there's something blatant that landlord is just breaching the contract that you've uh, agreed to with them, you give them that 14 day written notice, they continue to not remedy the issue, uh, you're able to break your lease there as well. Okay, perfect. And then um, with that, I think we'll wrap up. Uh, So thank you both again. I know how busy you both are because I'm in the office. So (laughs) I see how busy everyone is. (laughs) I'm busy too. So I really appreciate you both taking the time. This this is really helpful to the community. And we could tell just by the amount of downloads, which is always surprising. I'm always surprised by how many people listen to this, especially out of the state too. So thank you both for taking the time to do this. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Thank you for listening to Law and Caution, Protection Through Legal Education. Links to helpful resources can be found in the description. Have a great day!